Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Some international filler. Hello and welcome to episode six of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on around the world over the past few days, while in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye, and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football, and this week, it's a full house. That means leading the line, and we're in the captain's armband, is Cole. So Cole, how have you been? since we last spoke yeah really good thanks dan um looking forward to getting into this one you know it's been obviously a little bit quieter on the football front with the international break but put it this way this break certainly hasn't been dull has it so we've got quite a bit to get through yes there's always something to talk about but thankfully we've got a lot to talk about this week that also means you're joined by Fulham fan matthew matthew it's been a couple of weeks now but how have you been my friend yeah i've been i've been not too bad i've enjoyed the last dregs of the uh, transfer window and as carl says even if it is the international break, you know, usually we're scrambling around for topics, but thankfully um, the international break threw up something for us to talk about. So it's absolutely fantastic. Yes, thank you to the international break, we must say. And that also means you're joined by Palace fan Max. Max, not all the load yourself like last week, but happy to be in the fold once more. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm really looking forward to talking about some of the some of the some of the issues this week. It's been it's been pretty manic, hasn't it? It has indeed. Right, before we do all of that, I best do the social media bits first, as we'll be talking into the abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter at Dan Tracy Nice eighty three. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at Real Football Pod. And if you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. Talking of clubs, I'm delighted to announce we're now part of the UK's first ever sports podcast network, that being Sports Social. So check out the URL and all the links posted throughout the week on the Real Football Pod account. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. 
Also, I need to mention my content partner, that being betting.com. If you want tips, predictions, any day of the week, go to them. And the easiest way to find all the links is by going to linktree slash realfootballcast, put a dot between the R and the E, and you get 10 podcast platforms to choose from. It's never been easier to listen to this show. Right, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? Let's go to the international break, because that's the only place we're going really this week. And once again, it's the topic of World Cup qualifiers. It's really its ugly head, Cole, and... We all love international football. Well, we certainly all loved it at the summer. Football nearly came home, etc., etc. But we're back to that tough old slog, aren't we? So, have you taken the time to watch England over the past week? I have, Dan. Um, you know, I think, obviously, off the back of the Euros, you know, I think we all kind of fell in love with international football again, didn't we? You know, and it helps when you, your home country are doing well. Um, so, yes, I wanted to kind of see, you know, whether we were going to continue that, whether we were going to still play as good a football, um, potentially in these latest games. So I have been watching. Um, you know, I think I know where this topic's going to go. And unfortunately, you know, the one thing it does do, doesn't it, when in some of these qualifying campaigns is when, when you look at the sort of opposition you end up playing, it is the sort of thing, though, where you can have a tendency to think, well, you know what, am I rushing home for England versus Andorra if I'm out somewhere? So it, it doesn't have that same spark. But at the moment, I'm still interested because I do think there are some signs that we're building towards something that, that could be really good come this World Cup. Well, Matthew, that was the kind of point I was going to make to you. It's a sense of that England fans are guilty of sitting in their ivory tower and thinking, oh, it's Andorra. The chasm of quality is huge, massive, far too big, you could argue. But, you know, you're a Wales fan and no disrespect to you at all, but you had a really entertaining game against Belarus. So... There are good pockets of international football to be found. You just need to find them, don't you? Entertaining is not the word I would use to describe no, that oh, game. OK, OK. <laughs> yeah, I, I do not have any nails left on the result of that. But, but yeah, I do agree that it really does depend on, you know, which, you know, which angle you're coming at this from. You know, you've got the England fans who are, you know, it, as I've said for as I've said for years on end, it's not a qualifying group. It's a procession for England. Like, they... Like between the like they'd lost the Czech Republic like two years ago in qualifying, but before that they hadn't lost in ten years or something. Something stupid along along those lines. So it's not a qualifying group, it's a procession. Whereas you do also have Scotland who have had their misery for the past, you know, twenty-five years or so, however long it's been. So I think it really does depend on which angle you're coming at it from. But you know, I do kind of understand where the where the apathy would come from because like because again, again, talking about this from an England perspective, you know, is there the rush to see England, you know, put four or five past Andorra? Yeah, and I'll just save all my caringness and all my willingness to watch for the summer when, you know, it may not always end gloriously, um, but at least it's it's a challenge in some sense. You know, you want there to be some level of competitiveness to it. So I can certainly see where different views might sort of contrast that to an extent. Well, I think England Andorra is the perfect opportunity to get brownie points with the girlfriend because you're kind of in that mindset of, oh, you're not bothered about England, and you think, well, if it's England B team playing Andorra, you can kind of get away with, no, it's not that important, and be in the good books. But, Max, the problem I find with UEFA, or is it a problem, I don't know, but it's the only confederation which doesn't have any form of pre-qualifying in terms of its actual structure. You could argue South America, of course, but it only has 10 teams, and it has that monster attritional league doesn't it so would a fix in all of this be a case of weeding out the also rounds to start with um yeah p- potentially potentially it, it, I, I mean the, the trouble is is that how do you kind of fit it into the 
fit it into the schedule because of course you know there, there are always going to be the teams down the bottom of those groups like you know Andorra and San Marino and Gibraltar and kind of tiny nations like that um but to, to fit more fixtures into the into the calendar potentially by doing pre-qualifiers and kind of vetting them before they get to that um that that stage for to, to get the right to qualify via the you know, via those groups with the rest of Europe. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure it would work. Um, obviously, it's it's not great for the competition when, you know, England can change their entire team and still win 4-0 and, you know, potentially it could have been more. And there's a massive gulf in quality between the teams at the top and the teams at the bottom. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I think for those nations to ever improve, they're going to have to play um, play the better teams. That said, to be fair... You know, San Marino and the likes of team, teams like that, Andorra, have been playing for 20, 30 years and they, they've only scored in, what, like one in 20 of their games. So, you know, it's, it's difficult to see a kind of improvement. Um, but, yeah, it, it's not great to watch um, teams getting completely smashed every single every single year or every single time they're in a qualifying group. But I'm, I'm not sure how you can rejig the calendar to sort that out. Maybe it's something uh, you can look at as long as you're not increasing the player workload. Um, but I'm, I'm happy with things as they are, I think. Cole, UEFA's argument would be that San Marino and Andorra and other minnows are available, but they have as much right to play the likes of England and Italy as everyone else. So do you feel that's a stance that needs to change, this kind of all-encompassing value for UEFA football or are you a fan of weeding out the also rounds and saying look you know they're not going to have much pressure themselves because if you think about it a Sam Marinese or an Andorran player isn't going to be playing in the Champions League at a high level so they're not going to have as many fixtures so could those nations afford to play more games so it's not to the detriment of the bigger nations yeah I guess I guess like as you say then you know it, it's that sort of thing isn't it you know it's almost a bit like the big six with the rest of football isn't it you know yeah. it's you can't really turn your nose up at these these other countries and just assume well because we've got a history and we've got a pedigree of being good um then basically you guys have to do something completely different to what we do so I, I think you need to stick with the current system because you know you go back to say like the 80s I mean I remember when England would would, would play Turkey yeah. at Wembley numerous times and you know you were looking at an eight nil drubbing That's you right. know and it, it was seen as like well yeah this is Turkey you know this is going to be six seven and you just got to look at how far countries like that have come along now in, in the football pyramid and you know if you drew Turkey in in the qualifying group you wouldn't be sitting there now thinking well that's an easy tie you'd be sitting there going well that's a tough fixture you know that'll be a hard game to especially going out there so I think you've got to give these countries a chance to kind of mix it with the big boys because it, it will only be doing that that potentially improves the quality improves the kind of um the way that football is perceived in those countries um because let's face it you know san marino the thoughts the thought that they can play england germany france those teams probably helps them attract you know people from that country the younger generation to start playing the game if they were never getting that chance to play those teams, the interest in football would probably die off there and then suddenly they wouldn't have the talent pool to pick from. So they'll only, they will only get better as time goes on. You know, I mean, who would have thought Iceland would be where they are now and gone to the tournaments they have done a few years ago? So I think we've got to stick with it. It's just one of them, isn't it? It's your lucky draw. I mean, when you look at England's draws, I think now... 
you know, when was the last time England really got a tough qualifying group where you thought, oh, hang on a minute, this could be tough. You know, we, we could do well to qualify from this, you know. I think, you know, we always get San Marino. We always seem to get Macedonia, don't we? And you, we're in these groups that it's like, oh, England won 10 from 10. And you're like, yeah, look, listen, look at the teams we've been playing against. There's sometimes when you think, oh, I wouldn't mind a group of death where you're thinking, well, wow, look, you know, look at these fixtures we got coming up. But then if we didn't qualify, we'd probably be saying, I'll have Macedonia and San Marino back, please. So it's a hard one, but I think we've got to stick with it and give these countries a chance to kind of improve. Um, and I think they'll only do that if they're playing against the sort of teams that they are right now. Well, Matthew, as Carl mentions, the kind of fluid nature of the qualification allows the likes of Iceland, Albania, Hungary to get to big tournaments. And again, we shouldn't be snobby from the elite and say, well, we're all right, we don't want to play these lesser nations. And without that, wouldn't international football as a whole be quite stale? Because it would just be always the same nations, always getting to the finals. It, it would. Um, and I do think there is some sort of... Because I, I think I've argued this on one of our uh, In The Bin episodes. And I say, yeah, a group, you know, if you got rid of the seeding, for instance, and just sort of, so you could have your group of death, but at the same time, you could have your, you know, in the main qualifier, I'm not talking in the Nations League, which plays a part in the qualifier, but as the main qualifier, if you had your San Marino, Andorra, Liechtenstein, Lithuania, and Gibraltar in the same group, and one of them got to the World Cup, you know, you'd still, it would still be exciting. You'd still watch because it's the World Cup, but there would also be the element of, it, it, it does, it does give you again. It's it does give you that variety because you don't want it to be, you don't want it to be hard every week. But the same reason you don't want it to be easy every week, you know, because this game, these games do give the opportunity for you know those those fringe players. Like if there was a group of death, for instance, would Patrick Bamford have been? Would Patrick Bamford have started? You know, would Patrick Bamford be in the you know be in the um in the frame to play? I don't really think so. You know, would uh, Sam Johnston have started in goal? No, because you know D, uh, John. Uh, John Pickford rather is number one. So it is nice to get the balance in there because you don't want it to be you don't want it to be either side of it where it's too tough or it's too or it's too easy. You you need that balance in there. Yeah, I guess it's that level of protectionism, isn't it, with big tournaments, because UEFA from FIFA, they want the biggest teams at their spectacle events because otherwise not enough eyes are being on the in terms of TV audiences. So you can understand why they are so protectionist of putting seeding in place and all of that, but it kind of stifles natural competition. At the same time, Max, in terms of natural competition, we've got the Nations League. That had detractors at first, but even for the minnows, they're playing nations at a similar level. They might not win, but they're not going to get smashed five or six, are they? So it's creating competitive football, and when it sort of feeds into qualifiers as well, I don't ask me how it all works, I still can't get my head around it, but that can only be a good thing in terms of international football, can't it? Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and I think actually one of the benefits of the Nations League is that it is kind of a tiered system. Um, it's obviously difficult to replicate for World Cup qualifiers, but I do like the idea that you're kind of playing teams who are in and around your kind of level. And then, you know, there's the opportunity for promotion and relegation. So you're not just kind of keeping it um, separate. There is the chance to theoretically move up um, the divisions and, and eventually get to the top. And, and I think, you know, kind of sporting integrity is just what, what the fans want to see. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of that that aspect of the nation. Although, as you say, it is a little bit complicated and I probably couldn't explain it to you. That's right. I don't expect you to explain it. But could you not just do away with qualifiers in terms of the traditional groups and just have this tiered platform and just say that 
the top teams in the top league will qualify and you, I don't know, you do it over a cycle of two years or something, Max. Could that not work instead so we get away from this kind of imbalance and just you have to work your way up to qualification? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's a tricky one, right? Because uh, I, do, I do think that... Um, I do think that, that the current qualifying calendar is a little bit, um, it, it probably needs a little bit of revising and a little bit of shaking up. I think that there's a kind of general understanding that players are playing too much, that there are probably too many interruptions in the domestic calendar for people to go away and come back. Obviously, you know, the clubs want to keep them, the countries want them, the players, you know, want to go and play for their country. That that kind of situation and that kind of push and pull, which has always been a little bit of a problem, is now exacerbated by the COVID-19 situation, as we saw with Argentina and Brazil, which I'm, I'm sure we're going to get onto. Yeah. But now there's also a thing about, you know, players will have to quarantine when they get back. Um, you know, how long are they going to have to quarantine in the country? And and just one international break, a player could miss like three matches for their, for their Premier League team or for their, you know, for their domestic team. And so, you know, the, I think there is... That there probably are too many interruptions and there are too many demands uh, placed on players with the way that the calendar currently is. However, I'm, I'm quite strongly against um, just giving teams, top teams like, say, England, Spain, France, Germany, Italy, um, giving top teams an automatic kind of buy or an automatic qualifying place at, at international tournaments because, you know, that, that that's kind of reminiscent a little bit of the, of the Super League and that you know, the, the, the kind of teams at the top wanted to remove that jeopardy that they might not qualify. And, you know, England didn't qualify for, I can't remember what tournament it was, but uh, with McLaren, they didn't qualify for um, for one of the Euros. Euro 2008, that's, that's what it yeah, was. Yeah, 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 2008. And, and you know, that, that can always happen. Uh, you know, always a, a reasonable sized team doesn't go to a major tournament. Always there are some kind of minnows like Finland who make it to the Euros or Iceland who not only kind of made it, but upset some big teams on the way there so I, I don't think that you can do it just kind of based on historical achievements or world rankings I'm really really a big proponent of let the teams earn their way to the tournament and you know whether that means big teams missing out whether that means smaller teams making it through great like that, that, that you know that's what we want to see um, but I do agree with you that the, the current system of, of so many qualifiers and so many international breaks fitting into an already kind of jam-packed domestic season, it, it does need changing, it does need revising and looking at, but I don't think I want to get rid of qualifiers completely. OK, well, you mentioned the calendar, so let's focus on that for a little bit. So, Cole, one idea has been floated around. I don't know if it was from a journalist, I can't remember who. Nothing kind of top tier, but if you were to take international football as a block of time within... European season as we know it and stick it on the end so you can get everything from beforehand in terms of club football and have no international breaks and you stay from I don't know May till July you have a big chunk of qualifiers would you be up for that yeah I you know that, that would be an interesting theory wouldn't it because you'd probably feel like you was having almost a summer tournament every year wouldn't you you know come the end of the season you know your side's going to go off and get together and then play those those qualifying games in one big one big chunk um and as you say it, it then wouldn't break up the season so much you know teams wouldn't have that kind of worry about players going away. You could condense a season, couldn't you? You know, bring it forward slightly for that. So, I mean, that is an interesting idea. Um, obviously, the only problem comes the, the seasons when you do have 
those you know international tournaments in the summer because then you you know you are not going to have to look at are you going to break the season up the following season to get something in um i i'm i don't think there's any easy solution around this is there you know while we've got qualifying it has to happen um I would prefer to them, you know, if it wasn't at the end of the season, that we just had a bigger break, say, halfway through the Premier League season, rather than, you know, you kind of get it. Because it just, it feels horrible the way these breaks come around, doesn't it? You know, you just get into the season, three games in, everyone's starting to get excitement and feeling that buzz. And then all of a sudden you stop for two weeks and everything goes flat again. Then we'll get going again. And then again, in a couple of weeks, it'll all break up again for the, you know, the October international break. And that kind of feels a little bit too regular for me. And and it does just break things up too much. So I would like to see a solution where we get this qualifying done, say in in more of a one big chunk and get it out of the way and not break the season up so much. And, And I'm sure probably the clubs and managers would definitely prefer that. Well, Matthew, if we put everything in a big chunk at the end of the season, say on the odd years, let's go from, I don't know, 2025, then you'd have a bit of an issue in that you'd have teams qualifying, but they'd be dormant for a year because you'd have all your international football at the end of one season. The end of the next season, you're going to the 2026 World Cup. So surely it couldn't work on that basis alone. Yeah, and I think, yeah, there's that. There's, I mean, that was an idea I was actually in favour of and sort of okay with for a while until I sort of further analyse the flaws. But I think there is also the case of it doesn't give the players much of a chance to sort of prove themselves. You know, players dip in and out of form towards, you know, as the season goes on. So whilst a player might be very good at the start of the season and earn his way into the September international break, his form may dip off and all of a sudden someone else comes in for the October. Whereas for if you want to do it all in a big chunk, obviously there are pros and cons for, for any solution. But if you do it in just one big chunk, then really... No, you're really just basing everything on that on your form up until you know from sort of March to uh, March to May time. There's no real in between, so there's there's there isn't the chance to really uh, bed in and out of in and out of a team like we you know like we would hope to happen. So yeah, it is it is it, it is it is fraught with problems. But then again, as we saw as we've been discussing, international football as it is is fraught with problems. So it's just a case of you know the greatest good for the greatest number in a way. Max, is the most fundamental problem in all of this that the two entities of club and international football try to run parallel and they're both struggling for the same space, where in a sport like cricket, you have central contracts. I think rugby, obviously international football takes precedent and the club fixtures still play at the same weekend. If I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. But you get the idea that international football has a greater supremacy and you're kind of owned by the association to a certain degree with contracts going that way. Now, that would be quite a revolution to say the FA sign 30 players and they're on loan to their clubs for a certain amount of period. But is this the, the kind of the toing and throwing? Is this the, the crux of the issue? Yeah, yeah. I think that, as you say, in cricket and in rugby, um, very much the international... Um, the, the international level of those sports is very much the pinnacle. Um, you know people don't want to be kind of knocking around for for example surrey against middlesex they would rather be playing um for for england obviously and 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 the same um for for rugby as well whereas the 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 strength of the premier league is such 
you know, there is, I, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm, I'm biased as, as, as an Englishman, but I think the, or British person, but the Premier League is the, is the biggest and richest and, you know, one of the best leagues in the world domestically. And there is a genuine, um, there is a genuine feeling that some players would prefer to play in the Premier League or to stay with their club rather than go to their country. That's not always the case. But for example, Jamie Vardy has basically um, foregone his England career for the sake of Leicester. Um, and Premier League clubs are such, you know, behemoths and, 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 and they contribute so much um, money and revenue and attention and eyeballs to um to, to global football it, it, that means that you, that they just have a lot of <laughs> really a lot of power um and it, it's it's just really difficult for for for, for kind of teams to for, for teams to countenance you know all their best players going away uh, and playing international football especially if you can then see what's happening with you know villa and tottenham let their players go or i think villa did and tottenham were against it um let their players go to the argentina brazil match and then look at all this nonsense that's now happening, those clubs are just going to say, no, you're not going away. And then th th there is really the, the, the push and pull between the domestic clubs and, and international football. And can you can you imagine Premier League clubs or, you know, the big six, for example, letting uh, the, the countries like England or Spain or wherever just say to their players, actually, you're ours now and we can take you whenever we want. Um, doesn't matter if the if Manchester City want to keep Ferran Torres, Spain is just going to take him whenever they want. That would never happen. Um, whereas I think there's more of an understanding in cricket and rugby that the clubs feed into uh, the international team at the domestic level. But the you know Premier League teams are just are just so powerful that that yeah that it, it's a problem. That's a huge problem. But Carl, another problem could be that the World Cup and the Euros every two years. Now we all love international football, but surely. Is this a case of, if it's not broke, why fix it? Is Arsene Wenger meddling about for no reason? Yeah, that, that is an interesting one, doesn't it? I mean, you know, the every two years between the tournament, I, th I think we all, we don't mind that, do we? Because, you know, you do look forward to those tournaments when they come around. I mean, obviously, you know, given what's happened with COVID, you know, we're going to be back into a tournament before we know it, but that normally isn't the case. So it, I think it was normally, I don't think there was anything broken with it. You know, you'd have a tournament the following season, you get a break and then you're, you know, you're looking forward to the tournament at the end of the next season. So I don't really see why, you know, for me, this is just, again, you know, people want to tinker for tinkering's sake just to do something different. And sometimes, you know, there is there is that theory, as you say, that, you know, it, it isn't broken. So don't fix it because, you know, everyone looks forward to it. What we don't want to see is you don't want to see tournaments coming around all too often because then I think the novelty of that and the hype that, that you know, surrounds those tournaments when they come will suddenly just start to disappear. You know, we, we don't want to kind of get rid of that and kind of make everyone get a little bit sick of actually, you know, tournaments that come round and summers that are filled up with football. Matthew, we've spoke about the process of getting to a finals, but surely the four-year cycle is exactly what makes it so special in the first place. If it comes around too often, then that's going to lose some of its luster, isn't it? It is because it, 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 is, it, is, a, it is a longer process. That's why, you, again, you've got to angle these... Um, angle these ideas up, you know, like Carl suggested, the whole block 
or as we're talking about the whole block in the summer it is it is a long as I said, it is a long journey and it goes back to what i was saying about the players you know dipping in that form you know it gives the chance for players to you know earn their way through over the course of you know realistically two you know it could be two to three to four years whereas if you have it just in one go they might miss out on that chance so the fact that it is stretched out is just gives it makes it a lot more open to a lot more players to to, to be given that chance Max, talking of luster, will it be lost come 2026 when the World Cup goes to 48 teams? Because surely the World Cup is the pinnacle of football, the absolute best playing the absolute best, not the absolute best and then a good amount of second-tier nations. So what's your stance on a considerably bloated World Cup, shall we say? Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. And <laughs> because, as you say, I think one of the things that... Um, not tarnished, but one of the negatives from the Euro- European Championships uh, this summer for me was that the fact that uh, sometimes three teams from a single yeah. group would go through and it felt like there was no real kind of jeopardy. There was no real danger. There was always a backdoor route through. And um, I'm not sure of the exact format of the 48 team tournament, but, you know, possibly it's only two teams going through. But the the quality of those groups being weaker makes it easier for you know teams to progress um i I guess they're maybe thinking on more knockout games or you know more of a chance for slightly smaller nations to make it to the world cup and you know part of the joy of the world cup is the diversity of the teams and the fans and everything like that um so i mean to be honest I'll, i'll just be watching that world cup and be seeing how it goes and seeing what effect it has on the football and the quality of the football and um, you know whether it dilutes the, the 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 skill level in general and that kind of thing and maybe making a, a judgment after that but we, we do have to be aware that we don't want to put it out too much because 48 teams that's almost a, a quarter of the teams in the world yeah <laughs> and <laughs> it's a lot um and you know you'll, you'll be seeing some some really really small teams there and i'm not saying that no no team has the right to be there or that you know it can only ever be an exclusive event and only the big teams are ever allowed to play there but at the same time you know you don't want it to be um don't want it to be kind of really small teams getting getting shown up against really big teams um because you know that's obviously what the qualifiers are for to kind of to kind of um let let the teams who are, who are capable of being there qualify there via the via sporting methods so yeah I'll, I'll be i'll be watching it with interest and, and seeing seeing how it goes well, it's like when Tahiti got to the Confederations Cup and got absolutely smashed by Spain. You kind of think, oh, no, like if it gets wider, then that's not really a good thing, is it? But, Carl, at the same time, are we collectively, in terms of UEFA, guilty of European snobbery? Should more nations be allowed to dine at the very top table? Yeah, I mean, you know, unfortunately, it is the problem, isn't it? The more that you get, the bigger you do have to make those tournaments, you know, because everyone feels that they should be included. So... As you say, is it right for us to be snobby and just say, well, no, we think it should be these teams? I, I don't think, you know, I, I don't mind, you know, maybe you'd see qualifying get bigger, but you certainly don't want to see actual tournaments becoming these massive tournaments because, you know, as much as I like the Euros um, and it, and it's great, you get that point where it's like three teams going through from each group and then the best sort of like fourth place team going through as well. And to be honest, it, that can also make some of those group games become a little bit of a joke, can't it? Because you suddenly realise, well, actually, even just one draws enough to you know, possibly get us through. We don't want to get to that sort of scenario. So, 
I, I could see a time where maybe qualifying has to be extended even more because I think we will have more and more, you know, nations coming around. But for the tournaments themselves, I think, you know, we do have, you do have to draw a line somewhere and just say, look, we, we need to keep this sensible because, um, you know, we, we could keep going forever. But at the same time, we can't have a tournament that goes on almost the length of a full football season at some point. Well, if you look at a 48-team World Cup, logically you'd have 16 groups of three, but that's not a good balance of your split because there's going to be a team lying dormant on the final group game of each group. And then those other two teams might know what they need to go through. So it's a mess, really. I think you need either 32 teams or 64, which would be far too big. So they should have just left it at 32. But as always, FIFA and UEFA, they always go for that kind of bigger, but bigger is not necessarily better. But Matthew, if we just dial back to Arsene Wenger's plans for biennial major tournaments, he's also going for the scrapping of the AFCON and the Asian Cup, which is rather harsh on those other confederations. Why don't they get to have a regional tournament in all of this? Yeah, it is, you know, Arsene Wenger has got a lot wrong um, over the years. I think this one may be one of one of the wronger decisions that he's ever got. It, it does come across as, you know, football snobbery to an extent. You know, when you look at the the, you know, the, the continental uh, tournament, you know, the Euros and the Copa America are really, you could even argue the Copa America is first, you know, most prestigious and you can you can argue. So the, those two are the, are, the, are the two big ones and then everyone else is just sort of left off to the side. I think partly because the African Cup of Nations takes place during the, the European football season, so it's seen as something of a distraction and a bit of a, an annoyance, as it were. Um, but yeah, I do think it, it is it does come across as snobbery and oh, you know, what can we what can we get rid of? Oh, this one doesn't matter. Let's you know, let's get rid of that one and then oh, the Asian one, yeah, football's not really all that big. There, let's get rid of that one as well. So yeah, it, it is it does come across as a bit snobbery in, in an extent. Max, I'll take you to South America, not for that topic just yet, but in terms of Comedy Bowl, they have it quite easy, don't they, in terms of their confederation? Not easy in terms of how to get to the World Cup, because it, as I said earlier, it's a war of attrition, 18 matches, home and away, but would they not be better merging with CONCACAF and having a pan-American confederation, or, because it's so cosy down south that you get four automatic berths from 10, one with a playoff, would that mean that turkeys are voting for Christmas and they're going to be cutting off their own heads if they then did a merger? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a case of that because currently, the as you say, the South American system, it pr- basically, it's kind of maybe not designed specifically for, the, for for this purpose, but the result is almost all of the big teams get through, <clears throat> right? And so I think a Pan-American qualifying group would be a good idea, but the trouble is that <clears throat> people wouldn't really vote for that because they would just be making their lives more difficult in qualifying. So... As much as I'd like to see it, I don't think it will happen. Right, let's go to the big topic in South America now. Matthew, have you got any clue as to what has unfolded over the past few days? Now, I know it's a farce, but I cannot get in my head how Lacelso Romero, Buendia Martinez, managed to sneak into Brazil. It's like a really low-budget football movie playing out in front of us. What sense can you make of this? Um, I think I can make about as much sense as, as everyone in the... Um... Uh, Brazilian and the Argentinian immigration authority. <laughs> uh, in that, it really it, that really doesn't because I know there was a whole bunch of it's it's been a it's been an ongoing issue for a couple of weeks now about you know Premier League clubs and European clubs letting teams go to their respective you know red list countries as it were and what kind of complications there can be. I know Boris Johnson was in talks to you know um, and a whole bunch of other UEFA. I think we're looking for 
uh, exemptions or can they quarantine inside the team's training grounds? It's just a whole, it is just a whole bunch, a whole lot of mess. And you think we've known about these fixtures for some time and it was only really became a problem when the teams were, you know, when they were announced and when the players were called up. Surely this is something that should have been, you know, weeks and further months down the line. And maybe not months because we don't know what is changing, but for everything to happen in such a short space of time, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it it just it does just smack of incompetence on multiple multiple levels. Now, Carl, of course, as Tottenham fans, we're going to get quite substantial fallout from this. In terms of Lo Celso, this is twice now he's broken COVID protocol, both here and abroad. It's not really sending out a good message, is it? No, it's not. Um, it's not ideal, is it? As I, say, I think it was Christmas time, wasn't it, Dan? You know, he got kind of caught breaking the COVID rules. Um, him and Eric Lamella at the time, um, and again now you kind of have this situation with him. I guess you know the biggest myth with this, isn't it, is that you know officially, as far as we're aware, Spurs, the club, never gave the two players permission to go. Um, what I don't understand is. Those players all posted a picture of themselves on social media, boarding a private jet to go off and play. Now, you would have thought someone around the club would have seen that and pretty quickly gone, right, hang on, what's going on here? These guys have all boarding a jet to go off and we haven't officially given them permission to go and play. And you just kind of feel that situation would have been sorted. Um, I can't believe they went without the club knowing they were going. Um, so... It's really hard to understand what has gone on here. Um, the the only defence you've got for the, the players themselves, I guess, is that, you know, we, we know South American football suddenly has, you know, doesn't work the same way European football does, does it? You know, we've seen over the years, you know, it's not it's not all Mr. Nice Guy. You know, there's probably a lot goes on behind the scenes that would make your kind of hair stand on end. You do get the impression that there's probably a lot of pressure put on them to turn up. And if they didn't, then who knows, could their, you know, positions be, be in doubt for World Cups? It's, you know, it's the biggest fixture for them, isn't it? You know, Brazil v Argentina. So there's also that pressure to go and turn up and play in that big game. Um, so I, I feel a little bit of sympathy because they probably were under some real pressure to go. But then at the same time, you certainly go, well, if you were told not to, um, then at some point you you should technically your employers have told you not to do something. You should try to come to some sort of compromise that that is known about and it is agreed and everyone's happy. But it's not a good look for him. I was saying the other day to someone that when you consider, you know, there's a lot of Spurs fans that are on the fence already over him at the club. You know, not all Spurs fans have been swayed by by him yet since joining the club. So this is just another incident that, you know, and when you consider now the games that he'll be missing for, um, it's just something else that just doesn't, you know, put his image in the right place um, in all regards, to be honest. So, yeah, it, this one was a bit of a mystery all round, isn't it? Max, to play devil's advocate here, are the players themselves in somewhat of a impossible position because they're going to want to impress with a World Cup coming around next year. If they say, sorry boss, we're going to have to leave it, we're not allowed to fly, it puts them in a bit of a difficult position because Argentina's squad, in terms of who they can call upon, the talent pool is very rich. They'll just go some, somewhere else and get another player in. So do they feel pressured by the national setups to go and play for them? Um, it's possible, yeah. I think 
um, I think all of them were just very keen to go, I think of their own volition and of their own accord. I don't think it was necessarily them being pressured, although, you know, I think they're, they're well aware that if they don't turn up, it could be seen as them not being, you know, passionate to pull on the shirt and, and the manager might hold that against them in, in future, possibly. But um, what, what Jack, Jack Pitt, Pitt Brooks said in The Athletic, he said, um, basically, th- these guys wanted to go. And so they, they made it happen because of their, you know, huge desire to go and, and play. It's obviously a massive game. Um, it's important. Massive in terms of in terms of the the kind of history between the two nations, obviously, and and, and their historical rivalry and, and things like that. Because th- one of the ironies about this whole situation is that both teams are almost certain to go to the World Cup in any case. So the only thing on the line here is pride. And I understand there's obviously a, a history, um, you know, like there is, for example, with 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 England and Scotland. Even though England are probably historically a, a, a bit better than Scotland, especially in in recent times, but. Um, aside from the the whole Argentina-Brazil rivalry, the match is essentially meaningless in terms of qualifying because both teams are already going there. But there is there's a real will of the players to go and you know and and, and pull the shirt on it. And they obviously won the Copa America together, um, which was a, which was a massive deal for that group of players. And you know they, they were just kind of desperate to to go, despite Spurs not being keen on letting them go, despite all the quarantine rules. Um, with going into Brazil and that kind of thing. Um, and so what, what Pitt Brooks said is basically, you know, you might not necessarily approve of what they did. And a lot of people won't because they're, you know, they're, they're, it's thought that they've broken rules. It kind of all depends on what they wrote on on their like on their entry forms, you know, whether they lied and said they hadn't been in Britain, whereas obviously they had been playing for Villa and Tottenham. So a lot, a lot. In, in the coming days and weeks will depend on whether they lied on that entry form. But basically, they've kind of broken rules or gone, gone against um, what their clubs wanted. And so he said, you, you know, you might not approve of what they're doing, but you can kind of empathise with their situation a little bit because they are seeing people like Infantino, you know, rules are being bent and broken to allow Infantino to fly and watch a Copa America final and then suddenly rush back to the Euro 2020 final and Wembley and, you know, things like that. P- people like Infantino and his cronies, uh, rules are being brent- bent all over the shop to allow him, you know, access to lots of different places. Um, and, you know, lo- lots of players are being given exemptions across the world. And so they're thinking, well, why can't you do the same for us? As I, as I say, you know, a lot of people won't approve of what they did, and I don't particularly, but they were placed in a very difficult situation um, and ultimately, it should never have gotten to the point where there were people coming on the pitch after the match had started because it's just absolutely farcical, really. Matthew, this might be harsh on some nations, but should international football be contained to each continent for the time being? Because let's say South American nations could only call upon South American players, Asian nations, Asian players, you get the idea. Europe, no one's leaving Europe, it's only European call ups, which wouldn't really make much of a difference. Would that be. A harsh but temporary solution for now. I th- it would be it would be incredibly harsh because when you think about you know how many because the world and the, you know the global superstar let's say database is mainly controlled within Europe. Is that I've like I, said, I have no idea what the talent levels are like in the Argentinian in the Argentinian Premier League and the Brazilian Premier League and what have you. I but I 
doubt it's quite the level it is for the for the for the European leagues. Like, will Brazil and Argentina be, you know, of the same quality, for instance? You know, I mean, in their in their teams. So when Brazil play play Paraguay, say, will there still be the quality difference as they would be without the European players? There would be with, you know, does that sort of level and would that sort of level things up and would it be unfair? So are they really getting the full benefit? I, it would be harsh. It would it would be understandable to an extent. You know, really don't want to have any. You want to try and limit as much, you know, global travel as you can during this whole thing. Which is why there were many people saying that the Euro should be, you know, moved to just one country just for this just for this one time for that for that reason. So I can certainly understand why, especially if things, you know. Given that this is the winter, you know the colder months coming up, think people think it's going to get worse, and all that sort of thing. So you can understand why they would want to do it, but it would be incredibly harsh to do so. Carl, let's move back to Europe now because Cristiano Ronaldo is now the outright international record goalscorer. I remember discussing this on the show a couple of years back, and we kind of come to the conclusion it was going to be a matter of when and not if, and that was exactly the case against the Republic of Ireland. Yeah, yeah, you know, we you always knew it was coming. Um, and fair play, you know, it couldn't have gone to anyone better, could it? You know, the guy is an absolute beast and a machine, um, and he's earned every one of them goals. You thought the chance had gone with the penalty save. I mean, that, that was a great save, wasn't it? He must have just thought maybe, the, you know, OK, this is not going to happen tonight. But to be honest with you, you know, at some point in that game, you knew he'd probably he'd step up and get that goal when it mattered. And and fair play, it's a great record, isn't it? You know, and he had to take some beating to do. And when you consider that he's probably still going to go on and play for at least another, I would say, what, maybe another two to three, three years yet, um, then it was just a question of how many more he can add to that. Um, and give someone a real challenge to try and beat that. Because I tell you, for someone who's going to try to beat that, that is going to be some hell of a record. And they are going to have to really go some if they ever take that over. Matthew, he should make his second Manchester United debut against Newcastle this Saturday. But it's part of a 3pm blackout, which has created quite the furore at the moment. There's a lot of counterpoint and point as to whether it should exist, why it exists etc etc i know you want to get on your soapbox i've got it ready for you the floor is yours yeah thank you just brush the uh, cobwebs on because it's been a while um, <laughs> basically it, it all starts from this the, basically this desire that and this clamoring because basically the tv the tv companies gambled and lost effectively when they scheduled man united versus newcastle united on saturday 3 p.m they thought it was just going to be any other game then the transfer window comes along changes the plans and they don't have enough time to rectify it to then move it so but it has created this whole debate about the 3 p.m blackout and whether or not it should be a thing now we've we've discussed this uh, again during last season when the the football TV schedule calendar changed somewhat, you know where we had every single game, you know had had its own slot, not necessarily all on TV because there was the whole pay per view behind a paywall thing, so on and so forth. But basically, I I think I personally think we should get rid of the three pm blackout, not because of this. I mean, much like the pandemic has made us rethink about oh, do we need to change something? I think this game has sort of amplified it. A lot of the talk that I've heard, you know, when the 3 p.m. kickoff, you know, the 3 p.m. blackout is, oh, it's going to attend, it's going to affect the lower league attendances. Um, and I just, I personally, I just don't buy it because we're not making the argument that, 
you know, we're going to put Arsenal v Man City or Man United v Liverpool on at Saturday in 3pm. That's never going to be the case. That's always going to be your big Super Sunday or Saturday lunchtime or Sunday Saturday evening kickoff or whatever. So it's never going to be something like that that's going to make everyone in the country want to watch it. I think if we go back to the way it was last season, you know, you have your schedule. Friday night, Saturday lunchtime, Saturday 3, Saturday 5, Saturday 8, Sunday 8 o'clock and then Monday Night Football and just have that one 3 p.m. game. Now, if you want to manipulate it in such a way that it's a bad game, you know, that no one's going to take interest in, for the sake of argument, Burnley v Brighton. No one is going to be clamoring to, you know, to watch that. So the 3 p.m. attendances are going to be never in the lower leagues or anything like that. They're not going to be as effective. There probably will be a small hit, you know, like the the uh, if it's Burnley versus Brighton at Turf Moor, the Brighton fans who rather than you know traveling away and you know rather than go uh, would rather sit at home and watch it rather than instead of going away go and watch Worthing Town for instance or something like that. Yes, there will be a small effect, but again, it goes back to what I was saying: greatest good for the greatest number, sort of thing. I just think that. We saw in the pandemic last year that we don't need to keep things till a 3 p.m. kickoff. And again, it's not we're not saying that we're going to we're not trying to get rid of it. We've we've reached a point in the footballing calendar where everything is on TV. There's such a demand for it to be on TV. There's a talk about the streaming services coming up. We're going to get there eventually. Let's just you know rip the bandaid off and just get it over with. I think get back to the way we were in the pandemic. Have Friday night, four games Saturday, four games Sunday, one game on Monday night, and make the 3 p.m. to get rid of the 3 p.m. blackout and put it put it in there a minor game that no one is going to care about. That way, everyone is still relatively happy. And by the way, I've heard so many fans complaining about, oh, I don't want to have you know my TV game. Yeah, you know, why is all of why is this desire for the 3 p.m. kickoff to be you know to be protected and all that sort of thing? What you're probably going to get is you'll probably get teams demanding to be put in that 3 p.m. kickoff. So they're so those fans are going to be happy. And, you know, they don't have to move a lot. They can just sit back and watch it on TV. I just think, again, we're not going to solve the 3 p.m. blackout in a two-minute rant by me. I'm sure it's a discussion for a much greater time when we have a lot more time to talk about. But this Ronaldo thing is to sort of emphasize the point that we why do we have to have it protected? There are so many better ways that we can organize it, not just for Ronaldo's um comeback which i'm sure many people want to watch but again just in the grander scheme i think you probably don't need it anymore okay then matthew set the floor i'll give max and carl the opportunity for a counterpoint or they might agree so max i'll go to you first what's your stance on all things blackouts um to be honest i don't know enough about it to be able to comment on it so i will let carl give his thoughts okay carl over to you yeah, uh, thanks, Max. <laughs> Bit of a hospital pass there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is one where I can see the defender coming in all fully two-footed. Um, yeah, I, I'm again a bit like Max. You know, I don't, I haven't actually looked too much into this. I can see Matthew's point there perfectly well. Um, and like as you say, you know, I, I don't know. I think people are, you know, getting a little bit too carried away with this um but then you know if, if you're a united fan now and you don't get to see ronaldo's return that's that's going to be a bit of a a bit of a sickness for you isn't it but 
I think Matthew, you know, what Matthew said there, this could be one of them great debates that you could go into and have a special because you could probably be talking for about an hour or so on on the pros and cons for this. But it's an interesting idea, that's for sure. Right, well, that's October's international break episode sorted. But uh, Max, I'll go back to you with a sub-question on this then, that if Matthew is saying that the 3pm blackout should be scrapped and everything goes back to its individual slot, we had that during lockdown, and I don't know about you, but it was quite a bit of a slog at times because there was almost too much televised football. Would that change, though, if it was televised football around the clock with fans in stadia making proper noise? Would that be the key difference? Yeah, I think so. I think that would be a big difference because, as you say, when it was um, kind of wall-to-wall football almost during the pandemic and it was pretty lifeless and soulless without the fans, it was a bit of a tricky watch and it was kind of oversaturation really and and obviously there came a point for me where I was just like it's a bit too much I can't keep watching this this silent kind of uh, impersonation of football almost um but if that were to happen again with fans in stadiums with proper atmospheres and back to the way it should be you know it could well be different right I think we've hit full time we've covered the main topics of the international break we've got a show out of that so well done everyone which means I just need to do the admin so Max a sterling performance as always. I look forward to doing it again next week as we go back to the Premier League and a pod derby, the first of the season. Yeah, I know, I know. And actually, as it happens, um, I, I had a shift eight till five on Saturday, so I was going to miss it. However, that's then been moved to the afternoon and evening, which means I, this morning, booked my ticket. So I will be there. I'll be at Sellers Park. Oh, we've got a man on the ground. Excellent. The stars have aligned. Matthew, thanks for your time this afternoon. LA PSG, they're four and zero now, aren't they? Say again, sorry. LA PSG, they're four and zero for you now, aren't they? Yes, they are. Sorry, I've, I've been so busy with the international break, I forgot about my ten thousand pound bet. Tell you how much. As you do. <laughs> Fantastic. You'll be back next week, I hope. Yeah, absolutely. Top man and Cole, thanks for wearing the captain's armband this week. A pleasure to chat to you once more. Yeah, definitely, Dan. You know, really enjoyed this one. It's given us something to talk about and get some of those hot topics aired and looking forward to coming back next week and talking all things football again and Premier League. Absolutely. Right. Cheers, guys. And also to the listeners out there. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.